Hello and Happy New Year to everybody listening today. This is the Anti-Podcast and I am your host, Kevin Kelly. Over the past year, I have interviewed 16 extremely interesting individuals that have forged a path of their own, uh, some of them in very unlikely circumstances. And it's kind of the track that I feel that uh, I'm going to continue on in the next year. Uh, I'd like to have even more interesting and diverse and dynamic people on the podcast. I'd like to get some women on the podcast. I know that's been a critique of all the people that are complaining about no female presence. I'm right there with you. And I've reached out to a handful of women that I find very inspiring, interesting, and who have also forged their own uh, success uh, in in innumerable odds, uh, artists, musicians, business people. And uh, I'm looking to have them on as soon as I can. Part of this is I've never done a podcast before. And so I feel more comfortable talking to people that I hang out with more often. And I've realized overwhelmingly that most of my friends are guys, or most of the people that I know that are doing things are men. And that's just how it is. I'm trying to get comfortable doing this, and there will be more women in the future, as there should be. And I'll leave it at that. Um, Also, over the past year and of recent in the new year, I've been thinking about what anti actually means. And while I don't have it answered or figured out or defined in this podcast in the first one of January, I keep running into interesting snippets and pieces of content that speak to what I am trying to formulate in my mind. One such anecdote like this comes in a book I'm reading. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's okay. Uh, It's like a lot of self-help books. I I don't know. It just seems so obvious and straightforward that I don't don't know what the appeal is. Uh, All these books are starting to follow the same format with having a story in the beginning, identifying a thing that's fairly obvious, and then how to remedy it or how to include it in your life. That's another conversation, but on page 120, there's an interesting story. They're talking about how the role of your family and friends shape your habits or the people around you. There's a quote here, or this paragraph says, the normal behavior of the tribe often overpowers the desired behavior of the individual. For example, one study found that when a chimpanzee learns an effective way to crack nuts as a member of one group and then switches to a new group, that uses a less effective strategy, will avoid using the superior nutcracking method just to blend in with the rest of the chimps. Humans are similar. There is tremendous internal pressure to comply with the norms of the group. The reward of being accepted is often greater than the reward of winning an argument, looking smart, or finding truth. Most days we'd rather be wrong with the crowd than be right by ourselves. Running against the grain of your culture requires extra effort. That's the takeaway land right there. It's not about being right all the time. It's not trying to uh, look smart or win an argument, but it is, I think, about finding truth. And that's harder than it sounds, I believe. Uh, this, you know, I could talk about this endlessly for hours on end, but the whole purpose of this podcast is that we are finding a truth a real truth to people that have found their own way to do something. 
because you don't have to fit in. You don't have to go with the grain of your culture. You don't have to swim in the same school of fish as everybody else and do what they do. You can find something else. You can do it a different way, and it doesn't matter if you fit in or or not. The most interesting people I know do not fit in. I never fit in until much later in life, and I learned so much in those first 18 years of my life of, of being the odd duck and being the odd bird out that it strengthened me and empowered me later in my life to do what I want. And so that's really what I'm trying to communicate here. Uh, I, there's going to be more on this later, but I just feel that it's important to let people know that you don't have to do business as usual and how it's always been. And today, my interview is 1,000% the exemplification of that. I sat down with Tom Huck uh, at the end of last year, but I really wanted to start off the new year with this interview. And Tom Huck, if you don't know Tom Huck, you are missing out on one of the most entertaining and interesting personalities that our city has to offer, uh, that St. Louis has to offer. He is a American printmaker, he, he, he makes these giant woodcuts, um, wood carvings, influenced by great artists such as Albrecht Durer uh, and others um, that he mentions in the podcast I can't think of on, off the top of my head. But he makes these giant pieces of art, stories and series and triptychs and, and 14 series pieces that have a, a narrative to them talking about his life and his experiences growing up in mid-Missouri and what he's experienced since then. He is a fascinating man. I've known Tom for quite a while, just on an acquaintance basis, and convinced him to come to my studio and do a podcast with me. And once we get going, once we get warmed up, it is off to the races. It's invigorating. It's funny. He has endless quote after quote. And his story is the true exemplification of anti and what that means. He just took his art to heart and knew that he was good at it and worked hard at it and continues to work hard at it every single day. Uh, We started off talking about a controversy at the Contemporary Art Museum a couple years back and Tom's response to it. Uh, I thought Tom had a beautiful response to it in terms of owning what it is that you have to say in your artwork. We then get to talking about that fucking banana duct tape to the wall and segue over to some of his earliest inspiration growing up in Potosi, Missouri and finding his style and his, his content that he was going to make later on in life. We then get into uh, a, a fascinating story of not revenge necessarily, but a story of being, uh, having his hopes dashed upon the rocks at a very young age and then getting some sort of retribution later in life that, uh, that kind of defined him and started his personality to bloom. Uh, we talk about doing his first commercial work and his only album cover, which is the Roots Phrenology album cover, which is amazing to me. This is one of my favorite covers I remember growing up. I saw it immediately, I think you know, around 20, early early 20s and thinking that there had been no hip-hop album cover ever to look like the cover of the roots phrenology it i don't remember how much longer i realized it but when i found out that it was tom huck's work i was kind of blown away that a st louis artist had made 
one of the most recognizable album covers of that decade. Um, so we talked about that. We, we get into a lot of other stories. The Outlaw Printmakers, talking about art in person. We talk about Van Gogh and making more affordable work and what he's up to right now. The man is a machine. He's got a ton of work always going on. You got to stop by his studio sometime when it's open. Uh, they do now have a new graphic house, which is kind of going to be a print house and, and retail space for other artists and a, a place to where you can learn and do uh, activities and, and figure out what printmaking is all about. If you dig this podcast, if you have enjoyed listening to it, I'd appreciate it if you rate and review it. I'm told this is very important so that other people can find them if they're interested as well. Share it on social, discuss on your blog or your podcast. But for now, all I want you to do is sit back and listen to the man Tom Huck talk about his work, art, and life. What's up, Tom? Howdy. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Which is the way I operate now these days. Yes. There's a lot going on, man. Is it a gradual effect over the years? Like each year you just feel more and more tired keeping up with yes. different things coming in? Yes. Request? It's better than being a bum. Money you can't turn down? Or Well, I wish <laughs> there was more of that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's things. I've made more money every year since I started doing this, which sure. is the problem is so. it's like 1995 is when I started doing this. So, <laughs> and I don't teach anymore, which is a good thing, but, um, you know, so for a long time I was balancing teaching with running and operating a studio and most people only teach, sorry to all the professors out there. They, they tend to only make work on their breaks. I never yeah. did that. So there came a point where I had to, go right into the studio but so you go home working at night and yeah. then when i was 20 something years old mm-hmm. you know that's a different level of energy sure. you know <laughs> my head feels 25 yeah. years old but the rest <laughs> those big prints that i do man those things are mentally I and bet. physically draining and so i'm in the middle of one right now that is just kicking my ass it's this thing i've got going with in scotland and here and it's so it's cross oceanic (laughs) projects which i cannot believe i'm doing now but it's going to be very cool that's always the line just wait till you see it's going to be great but the work is done here both places i'm drawing it here and i'm carving it there and i'm carving it here and drawing it there and i've already been twice to add back and forth to Aberdeen over the last two years. And I've gotten until October to finish the next one, 2020 for my big show in the oh next big God. show in New York. So it's a triptych or it's in one of my next big triptychs and it's going to be something else. <sighs> you know, one will ever has ever seen anything like this. Cause I'm always trying to push it and take that sort of traditional form of printmaking that I do and push it and make, you know, 14th century technology relevant to today, you know, <laughs> and there's no digital anything. It's all hand done. Yeah. Thought no, up, pre-drawn, hand carved, hand printed. And this one's going to be crazy. So it's just stay tuned. Has your passion maintained over the years, even though your body has started to uh, feel the creaks and the, and the, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm as excited about my about work 
as I am, as I was when I was 20 or three, <laughs> three years old. You know, I've been drawing since I was three. And this is, you know, I'm getting to do what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Yeah. So you can't complain too much. There's never an aspect where you're like, oh, I got to carve another no. one of these bad boys. That's no, cool. it's never, no. I've never had that where I, I'm a person like I can't stand not working. Uh-huh. Like I go home, you know, and every night and about three hours in, yeah, I'm going twitchy. nuts. I'm getting twitchy. <laughs> and if it's, and I hate the holidays. Yeah. I can't stand. This is my least favorite time of the year because, you know, I love hanging out around my family and my, my old lady, my woman, Uh it's great. She's fantastic cook and she's real good looking. So it's cool, you know, but like after about a day, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I got to get back to work. I can't stand not working. Yeah. I just feel like it's wasted, wasted time. My my assistants that work for me in my shop, I tell them I do this whole thing where they'll they'll say when they're having problems working, and I've got it. I'll ask like, "How old are you?" Mm-hmm. Okay, well the average age is this to live to. <laughs> how many hours? I go in and I figure out how many hours they've got left to make work. Wow! You know? And I tell it to, and it really. That's the way I look at things. You know, there's not a lot of time. A timeline. Yeah. You know, you know what really fucked me up? <laughs> Two things. I'm a complete fanboy of stuff that I'm really passionate about. So sure. I get real jacked up over old prints by artists like Dürer and Goya and mm-hmm. Daumier, but I'm also a huge rock music fan, blues too. Metal specifically, but man, it fucked me up when Prince died. Mm. And Lemmy died too before that. Lemmy lived Bowie. a lot longer. Bowie too. I was I'm I love Bowie and mm. I have a fair amount of his stuff, but he wasn't in my top. Sure. You know, he's a top tenner for me, but well no, top twenty or for mm. me. But Prince, that fucked me up, man, because he's like a childhood hero. Yeah. He was like an artist. And so when that happened, I was like, Oh my God, I gotta you know, there's just not a lot of time, you know. It really messed me up that I have to go into the studio. I gotta, I gotta work. Yeah, the bet the earlier that that hits in your life, the better. Which yeah. is something we were just talking about, yeah. right before this. And it's, um, you know, it. I deal with that all the time. You know, it's the uh, the whole memento mori. The remember mm-hmm. that you're gonna die. Oh yeah. You know, and you yeah. think about that every day, and that your timeline. At the same time, that's got the negative effect of stressing you the fuck out yeah and increasing your anxiety yeah and if your anxiety is too high then you're not going to be operating at right you know your 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 optimum state in order to get out what's in your head the only place i'm okay really where i feel like i'm okay is when i'm drawing or carving yeah Everything else is just a complete shit show. Is that how you feel right now? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty calm right now. I mean, I mean, it's because you caught me off guard. We're an hour. We're an hour. uh, Hour ahead. Yeah, I did. I'm I'm that way. I tend to like to show up. It doesn't bother me at all. I was over in this part of town, and so I kind of, you know, well, people don't drop in like they used to, and 
I was just talking with my sister last night. We were talking about growing up and how people used to drop into the family all the time. Oh, it doesn't happen anymore. My mom would, it would be like three o'clock and we wouldn't eat for three hours. My mom would be like, stay for dinner. People drop in on fucking Facebook. (laughs) They check in. With comments, they check in. Yeah. You know. Which is good. Was it mom's house? Right. You know, get the fuck out. (laughs) You know, I hate social media, but I have to do it. Same, yeah. And, you know, I think that's contributing to a lot of, like, distance between family members. Oh, of course. And and even though it's like false security of being connected. People forget how to talk to each other. Yeah, completely. they, They bitch about it then digitally yeah you know like i had a bad everybody interaction with my has, mom. yeah everybody <laughs> has a platform now yeah. not everybody deserves a platform that's true you know yeah and that bothers me you know and it's ruined or i got in you know i try not <laughs> to get into stuff online with people mm-hmm. i got lured into this <laughs> gigantic fight online over John Singer Sargent, the painter. There's this guy who just started reaming on him. And I'm like, okay. I, and I watched it happen. On his work on or his personal fa- life? On his, on, well, John Singer Sargent's been dead for about 100 years. Right. He's a fantastic painter from the late mid to late 1800s, and he's just fantastic. Everything right, know, I've ever seen are, are phenomenal. And this guy just decides, you know what? He woke up one morning. I'm going to shit all over John Singer Sargent on my Facebook page. I'm like, okay, as random as that may be, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll listen to you. And then it got out of hand. And then I was just like, you know, I'm jumping in on this guy. you know. And then it ended up being this three-day thing of me going back and forth about well have you ever seen one in real life Mm. have you ever known anybody that can paint like that Mm -hmm. can you paint like that yeah you know whatever so that's the last one i got involved in and i tried to stay away well you know i do now one thing i was going to bring up actually was uh one of your writings in the all the art magazine oh yeah what was that about that was about the toothpaste peanut butter dude that what put, he blew up the uh, portraits of black people and then put like a bunch of toothpaste and peanut. It was over at Contemporary before they got the new. Oh, oh, you! I said you asked me yeah. before we sat down here. Is there anything you don't want <laughs> to talk about? And talk here's about. what you pull out. Okay, all right. Let well, me get I say back. that because Hang on. Give I me a loved second. your response. Hit, get, let me get back into that state of mind. Here they come. Hit, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay. I'm trying to remember the whole thing about that. Oh boy, I'm trying to. I what was my response? So refresh. I can't even remember the artist's name. Kelly something. Some some yeah. white guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he was making this art, and it was you know somewhat yeah. visually controversial. People got offended by it pretty yeah. easily. In the city yeah. that had the Ferguson protests. Correct. It was right on the heels of Ferguson. Keep going. And it was these large portraits, I believe blown up from magazines. Correct. Like Ebony. Yeah. Or, That's right. And he then he proceeded to add uh, media or toothpaste and peanut butter and other yeah. things to yeah. the portraits. Right. The, that necessarily wasn't the bad deal. The bad deal is when he had an artist talk. <laughs> And people are like, so explain why you're doing this. Yeah. You know, like, or what's your point behind what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. And he just kind of 
he didn't have a good. Well, he just pulled the whole, uh, not, I'm letting the work speak for itself. Look, hey, man, <laughs> we don't live in a world where that's, that's a sustainable approach. Which is more or less what your editorial said. You're yeah. like, I'm no stranger to creating I, controversial work. Look, there are no rules. Real life rules mm-hmm. don't apply to art. Right. There's my first thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. That being said, <laughs> you got to be able to back up what you're putting up. Exactly. Okay. My stuff, I've heard, I've gotten a lot of flack over the years for it being immature, mm-hmm. sexist, you know, the violence in it, all that stuff. And all of which, well, yeah. <laughs> And I've, you know, I have like two or three rules, okay? The first rule I already told you, mm-hmm. and this is in regards to my work, but I used to tell it to, to kids when I taught. The first rule is, you know, real life rules do not apply to art. Yeah. The second rule is don't make don't do bad shit and you won't end up in my shit. Yeah. And there's a third one. I'm it's, it's escaping me. It'll come. It'll come to me, (laughs) but you, you, you have to put your heart and soul into these things and make art about yourself in whatever way that is. That could be, if you're a person that wants to do installation based art, fine. Make sure that you can back it up with aesthetic precedent um, and why mm-hmm. it, it matters to do that type of work today, as well as any other kind of work, whether yeah. you're making traditional black and white woodcut prints or the most cutting edge digital, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. You gotta be able, you gotta have a reason to be doing it. Sure. And I remember that that guy just, you know, shit the bed. Didn't because <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it it's gimmick. Yeah, I don't like gimmicks. Right. I don't like stunts like the fucking banana mm. with the tape. First of all, how many of us would have known that about that <laughs> if it wasn't for fucking Facebook and Instagram? The media, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't like seeing it over and over again. And what happens is that guy. Yeah. Gives us all a bad name. You're already trying. See, you got me all worked up. You're already <laughs> trying to convince the public that art, the art world aren't full of a bunch of fucking freaks. Okay, well, that goes out there to everybody that has a goddamn cell phone. Yeah. And now everybody thinks that that's what the art freaks. world does. <laughs> Okay, so so now I don't want to hear any complaining from those assholes who bitch about lack of funding for the arts because Joe Blow in Congress thinks that that's what the art world is. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, come on. And and it's it's just, you know, it's first year art student shit. Yeah. You know that we should be done. $120,000 $120,000 for that. If you get some jack off that wants to pay that, yeah. good for you, bully for you. <laughs> but don't tell me that that's the norm and it puts out the perception yeah. that we're a bunch of freaks over here, which we are, but not that kind of freak where we're trying to dupe people, yeah. you know, or stunt. It's a stunt. I don't like stunts. I wish I could think of my second rule. I can't, I had it for a second. 
and it's just going away. <laughs> it, it applies to this. Uh, well, it'll come to me. So would it be safe to say... Uh, Sorry I yelled like that. Okay. No, that's what this is about, man. <laughs> you, you are... You, you, you peaked, started it with the... Uh, you peaked the audio for the first time ever when on I'm mic'd, they mic They mic me up at these talks. I turn you down just a There tab. you go. See, that's not the first time. <laughs> Love it. You can probably fix that. Later. I can fix it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what would you say... Uh, you're not a big fan then of... Uh, Duchamp and ready maids. Hey, look, that to me, here's because I feel the thing. like that's where it stems from, obviously. It does, but that, you know, well, there's debate on whether Duchamp came up with that. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of mm-hmm. that kind of work. Look, I, I'm a person that likes athleticism in art. <laughs> I like to go, I, number one, I like to know who did it. Yeah. Number two, I like to know how they did it. Mm-hmm. And number three, I like to know why they did it. Mm-hmm. And I like people. It's just a personal opinion. I like people that can draw. Yeah. I like being moved by people that can fucking play the guitar. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And that's just what I like. And I make art that I want to see. Yeah. So so I don't have anything against anybody liking the banana on the wall mm-hmm. or Duchamp's toilet. That's fine. It's just that I don't like the bullshit that backs it up. Be honest. Yeah. If the guy with the banana came right out and said, look at how fucking stupid the art world is. They're yeah. eating this up. Well, then maybe I could get a little behind it. It's the the bullshit that they back it up with about how the aesthetics the the concepts that are bullshit concepts, a lot of that comes out of academia, you know. Well, it's and, also a popular focus with the uh, the rise in popularity of Banksy and, <sighs> and things of that nature, you know. Okay. The meta analysis of the art world and what you can and can't do and what is worth something and what isn't. That worth becomes something. the art, and I don't care about that. Yeah. A, a friend of mine told me, you know, what's great about street art is it should stay in the street. <laughs> Okay, because yeah. it, as soon as you try to take it and put it, art. look, man, an, a, like I said, stunts. Okay, let's see that motherfucker shred a Da Vinci yeah. that just sold for <laughs> 400 million fucking dollars. Yeah. I bet the reaction would be a little bit different. You know why it would be different? Because Banksy stuff is disposable. Yeah. And it doesn't have the same effect on a viewership. Mm-hmm. that a Da Vinci does or a Rembrandt. Can you imagine somebody doing that shit with, oh, the latest Rembrandt that came up at auction yeah. and you put that shit up there? Oh, oh, let's take the Night Watch. Let's say somebody magically, um, that thing's huge, uh, ma- magically were able to acquire that from wherever it is, whatever museum, which it won't happen, but let's just for the sake of argument. People are bidding on it. It's up in, it's priceless for one thing, but now it's up to 800 bajillion Mm dollars. And there's like sold to the chap and the whatever. And then he goes, and then the son of a bitch shreds. (laughs) I I don't know if the reaction would be the same. (laughs) Right? I don't think so. It probably would not be. I mean, there'd be a lot of people up in arms. You ask yourself why. Yeah. If the work is that good to begin with, mm-hmm. would people be getting off on its destruction like mm-hmm. that? I don't know. Maybe. 
Maybe mm. that's just me. That's a good question. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, that's that's a perspective nobody even dared to mention. Well, you know, I, mean, I didn't hear I, Well, when I go into a museum or a gallery mm-hmm. or someone's studio, I want to be moved. Yeah. Banksy does not move me. Yeah. Because frankly, I don't choose to, I'm not that cynical <laughs> about the art world. The art world sucks. Yeah. I make a living in it and it's terrifyingly hard to do. Yeah. There's, it's like if you manage to be able to sell work to museums at that level, it's like making the Yankees. Okay. It's the same thing. So, uh, but on the whole, I'm not that jaded about it. I still believe that the good art Mm -hmm. wins out in the end. Yeah. Okay. And the talent wins out in the end. That's the whole thing about me with art school. The yeah. thing that they don't tell you is that really you have to be talented to make it. Yeah. But see, they can't really tell that to students <laughs> because Especially if they told anymore. that to students, they would have no income. Yeah. There would be no one spending tuition. So what they do is they then lump, oh, well, we're going to give them lots of computer classes and teach them how to do Photoshop and the latest version of Adobe Illustrator or whatever <laughs> to make mom and dad feel good about escalating tuition rates. <laughs> You know, yeah, because I mom completely. and dad are petrified <laughs> that Tommy yeah. isn't going to be able to make a living at this. Right. You know, oh, I've been there. It, it's, <laughs> I, me too. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very hard to talk about that stuff. And so Banksy and, you know, the, the banana guy, <laughs> you know, I can appreciate the spectacle yeah. of the shit show. Okay, but at a certain point, I want to be moved by art. So, safe to say that in what you appreciate as art is not only the concept, but also the physical input from the artist into the piece itself. Great art is a marriage of concept and technique. Yeah. That's the way it is. And it's it's a reflection of the times in which it was made. Mm Mm-hmm. Great art is a reflection of the times in which it was made. That's just throughout the ages. That's what it's about for me. And, you know, you're laughed at in art school a lot of times for, you know, when I went to when I went to art school, it was, you know, I wanted to draw and I had a bunch of, you know, people that I was in school with wanting to hang tampons on the wall (laughs) with a single light bulb and a chair, you know, with water, a a glass of water underneath the chair. Okay. That's cool. It's fine. I understand, but it's, but that's what, what was Mm -hmm. the current goings on at the Whitney Biennial. Yeah. You know, this is what's making it. (laughs) Now I remember when I was in one critique which if I never have to fucking sit through another one of those things or do another one as a teacher, yeah. the rest of my life, I'm okay. <laughs> um, Let it be known. We, I had a, a, some pieces of mine up, and I remember one of the faculty was like, well, anyone can draw. And yeah. this guy next to me was a teacher. He was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? So, well, it's true. Just not everybody can draw well. Everybody can draw. Yes. Not everybody can draw well. Right. And you know what? I tend to like people that can draw well. 
And even if you can draw well, it doesn't mean that you have something to say. Even if, you know what, you cannot draw well and still have enough other stuff going on mm-hmm. to to make it the piece work. Yeah. It, it's not all that. Yeah. But personally, that's what I like. I like a high level of technical uh, mastery. Sure. You know, that's what I like to look at. Which is evident. Uh, how did that come about? What was the first piece of art that you were like, that you felt? That, hit that you? I felt? Yeah, that hit you right between the eyes, went straight into your brain, into your heart. It was Dewar. Dewar's yeah. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like 12 years old, you know. So I, I was 13. I was actually 12. It was my 13th year. Um, <laughs> my... Sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah, I know. It was my 12. So we, my grandparents knew a bishop, okay? And in, this is in 1984. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents took me on a trip to Italy for a summer. Italy, Egypt, Israel, France, Jesus. and England. My God. And that's coming from a town of 2,600 people. Right. Potosi. Potosi, right? yeah. <laughs> and we went to the Vatican Museums mm-hmm. in Rome, and we were going to go see this. We were going to see the Sistine Chapel that day. And there's a little museum. I don't know if it's still this way, but there was a little museum gallery area before you right went before. into the Sistine Chapel, and they had all of Dewar's. Mm. Apocalypse up. I remember that. Yes. And okay, that's a big it's been day. Twenty years, but I I completely remember what you're talking about. Be, we it's been longer. That's like thirties. No, for me, it they. I mean, that's a big day. Yeah. Seeing Doors Apocalypse, then walking into the Sistine Chapel yeah. when you're twelve years old. Yeah. So, and. uh that was it for me, and I've loved Dewar ever since. He's been like my art hero, number one. I got a lot of other ones, but he's he's my main main influence well, on right everything. Off, right off the bat, there, that's uh, interesting that Dewar's carvings are, and his work outranked Michelangelo. Yeah, <laughs> you know. What well, I mean? the reason for that. Now, look. Now, in hindsight, mm-hmm. well, I'm in 1984. I was listening to Iron Maiden mm, and, and all that <laughs> and Motorhead, of, co- of course, but like all that, you the know, darkness that are Judas entered. Priest, Iron Maiden, <laughs> yeah. Saxon, mm-hmm. you know, all that great new wave of British heavy metal stuff. You could, I tell people all the time, you could take any one of those Dewar prints and it'd been an album cover for Iron Maiden. So you, a 12 year old kid, there's mm. tons of stuff to love in those prints. 12-year-old boy, yeah. you know, whores of Babylon, battling <laughs> knights, monsters, you know, it just on witchcraft and dark and lurid subject matter because that stuff came out of the Protestant Reformation, yeah. the Middle Ages. Scare people into religion. Scare people into religion. And Dewar figured out that you can reach a lot of people through multiples. Were you scared of that stuff at all? No. Growing I, up? You no. just immediately flocked to it. I flocked to it. And there, it goes back even further than Dewar, actually, with my influence with that stuff. I mean, my... So I was probably around that time, 11 or 12, um, my brothers, younger brothers, were mm. talking about how Dad had some really cool magazines underneath <laughs> his bed. 
And and I was older than them. I thought, well, hey, I need this more than you guys do. So <laughs> I went looking, and I I didn't find it. My dad had probably gotten word and gotten rid of the Playboys and penthouses, yeah. which oddly enough. When Penthouse came out, like last July, I was in it. No, really? Yes, they did a not. I didn't have my dick out or anything, but like they, shucks. they, they it shucks. They did like a five-page spread on my stuff. No right? way. Spread, and so anyway, I went looking under my dad's bed for this. He had gotten went of gotten rid of him. But what I did find, mm-hmm. I found a. Uh, up this book called the tower of London. And my dad was a chiropractor. He's hmm. retired now. You know, he would subscribe to the magazines of the day to have in his waiting room. And they used to do these book clubs. So like if you did a year subscription to newsweek, you then you would get a newsweek publication book every month to go hmm. along with it. And one of these was the tower of London. And I pulled the book out and I saw it. This is, I'm digging around under my dad's bed and I pull it out, you know, and, I opened up the book. I didn't go to the front of the book. I didn't go to the back of the book. I pulled it right to the middle, opened it right there. And there's a whole like five page set of illustrations by Crookshank, this great English engraver of Mary, of Lady Jane Grey being beheaded. Mm. And it it was just like they're engravings, prints. Yeah. So my first moving art experience was looking at engravings. I didn't realize that's what they were. I didn't even realize what woodcuts were by Dewar. I just thought they were cool drawings until college, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's my first is seeing that dark and lurid so subject matter. I was looking for and porn ended and ended up <laughs> finding like the, the Tower of London. And then the second trip to find porn. I went between the mattresses, uh-huh. and I dad had a, a big ass comics by R. Crumb. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and that turned into your porn, yeah, right? I mean, those bird headed women doing, and and I that those are like my so there's the graphic, dark and lurid. I was drawn to. Yeah, there's very a lot early. to unpack right there. Oh my God! I'm still unpacking. It. Looking for I'm still porno legs it. and finding yeah, man. Uh, uh, lithography. Yeah, and, all that and engravings and R. Crumb and all that stuff. What twelve year old finds George Crookshank? Right. You know, I mean, who who does? And then so the St. Louis so St. Louis Art Museum. Mm. Um, it, that's another funny thing. Once a year, my mom and dad would bring me up to the print and drawing room. Interesting. Because I loved prints. At that point, you were starting to show some uh, affinity towards it. Yeah, Yeah. and mom and dad were are awesome. They're really, you know, there was never any, oh, Tommy's going to be a lawyer or something. This is what I was going to be from the time I was three. And And they supported you. Oh, completely. I'm so lucky. I'm I'm a rare one, you know. And uh, they would bring me once a year to the print and drawing room at the art museum. Mm-hmm. And I was getting to see the real thing. I mean, the St. Louis Art Museum has a fantastic graphic arts yep. collection. And can, so if you can imagine, in 2009, mm-hmm. I had a show there yeah. with all those prints. I got to go in and pick and choose my prints. And it was a huge deal for my parents. Can you imagine that? I bet, man. And and it's and, you know, and they just the art museum just got my big new one, you know. So it's a <laughs> it's like my home museum, you know. It's That's incredible. It's unbelievable. I mean, that's unfathomable, you know, especially coming from a small town. Yeah. You know, and then and and, and being able to 
go to a place and then to have your work there it's as well. uh, where you went see I, I heard people you know people say you know i wish art like the rock and roll hall of fame yeah. i wish artists had a hall of fame i like they do it's They're called, called museums. Their, mu- their museums <laughs> right. you know <laughs> so it was a far out thing and it it and i'm very lucky I how mean, did how I'm, did the family end up in potosi to begin uh, with? my dad moved his chiropractic office there there were no chiropractors around yeah, in 1974 around. there uh-huh. That's how my family ended up there, and I grew up there. And it's it's rough because there's not a lot of culture mm-hmm. there, other than their own. I mean, there's right. it's very cultural. It's just there's not a lot. If you want to be a ballet dancer, you're not going right. to get much support. No, <laughs> you know, it's there's not a lot of outlets for that. Yeah. You know? So it was a little rough. But my look, I got to go to Italy when well, I was. Well, yeah. I mean, it just seemed 12. like your folks were pretty uh, culturally aware. They Despite are. living in a very small town. They are. We were liberals. We I didn't even know what that was. Right. We didn't know any better. Which was a much different thing back then, too. Very too. different. <laughs> very different. Um, it's, it's interesting because I want to... Like, did you feel, having that kind of background, that you were a Potosian and engaged in that? Or did you feel kind of like an outsider? Oh, man, it was rough. So I went in 1984, like I said, when I was yeah. 12. Yeah. And I came back <laughs> and had six more years of, of school, high school. Right. And middle school. Being a citizen of the world, That's having seen rough. the greatest art, greatest it was countries, rough. and come back to Potosi. It was rough. I got kicked out of art my first fucking day oh my God. of freshman year oh, art. I got kicked out. Well, <laughs> Mom and dad were so excited that I was finally going to have some structure. Mm. Thank God Tommy's going to have art club, which was yeah. like a seventh hour thing where you get art club for the day. And it's, thank God I'm going to have something. And the first day, first day of school, mm. this teacher, I won't name him, but it's this fine. teacher like <laughs> told us what we were doing. We were going to spend like a month on Fucking color wheels. Uh, color well, theory. Emily, my kid sister, was in sixth grade. She was doing the same thing. And I was like, hey, raise my hand. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, my baby sister's doing this too. Aren't we going to do something a little more advanced? And he came over, and it's like in the movies. He grabbed me by the ear and drug me down the hallway to the counselor and said, I don't want this Huck kid in any of my classes for the rest of his career. So I had study hall for four fucking years. Oh, my God. <laughs> four years of study hall. <laughs> so so what happened was I go home. I go, Mom, I got kicked out of art. And they're like, what? Oh, my God, why? You know, and so... My and they were not going to move that guy. He would not take yeah. me. Once that kind of thing has been done, I guess it's a done deal. So my mom took me and enrolled me in night classes at college in ah. college at Mineral Area College. Yeah. That's so interesting. all through Dual undergrad, mm-hmm. but all through high school, I was built at night my mom would drive me 45 minutes away sit for three hours while i took a drawing class and then drive me back like that happened every week for four years until i could drive well three years whatever and so by the time i got out of high school i had like 70 college credits 
And they all transferred. And so I, that saved me. There's this guy named Jerry Walters, mm-hmm. who, who was my teacher there. And he, it turns out, oddly enough, he did woodcuts. And I didn't realize, I, it never occurred to me to make prints until I got into college. Because most people, that, especially in a small town, you know, you don't know what prints are. Right. And I didn't take any printmaking classes Pre-internet. in college. Yeah. I didn't know. And then I, they made me take a printmaking class, and that was it. But mm. yeah, if I didn't have Mr. Mr. Walters and my mom, they saved me for four years. An, we, it, and it counted as credit, too. Yeah, they transferred everything. So I did my amazing. BFA. What, I did that, too. <laughs> I did my Bachelor's of Fine Arts and my MFA all in five years. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. I did it. I was 22 and out. <laughs> which was actually a bit of a negative to start out with. Yeah. So I was so young. I was in graduate school with all these people that were so much more aesthetically advanced and life advanced than I was. I was like a baby, you mm-hmm. know, and the women I couldn't, I, there was, I had no shot of dating any of these, <laughs> these women, you know, I was just a baby, you know, and it, that was the grunge era too, uh, when I was oh, in grad yeah. school. So these women were wearing these fantastic like thrift store <laughs> hip huggers they look like something out of a crumb comic yeah and and i was i was a disaster i was a, it was a, but it took me a while to catch up and i did catch up you know what so you got out at 22 and you had done your masters of fine arts as well yeah i think i was 23 and where 22. were you at uh, I went go? to Wash U, Washington University oh, in St. Okay. Louis, where I ended up teaching, which is another. You don't have enough hours. <laughs> well, we can save we some started stuff off, for the next We one. started <laughs> off talking about death and gloom and doom. Well, that that's what that whole thing is, my career at Wash U. Yeah. That's exactly what. So we won't get into that. We'll save that for a darker episode. Save that episode. for a dark, dark episode. After about. all, it's the holidays. It's the holidays. I don't want to bring everybody down you know, or myself, you know. So you figured out, you, you discovered what woodcutting was. Yeah. Going to those classes that your mom was taking you to, which yeah. was already a beautiful, you yeah. know, sacrifice. Yeah. I would it say. It was unbelievable. And then uh, you're like, I get it. This is kind of where I need to funnel my uh, abilities. Yeah. So then at the same time, it's like these experiences you're having in the middle of Missouri are, are crisscrossing. Well, what? So how did you like, I want to know where the, where the, okay. The helix comes together. So what what happened? What happened was, so I had a really rough period Mm -hmm. in grad school because I was so young. I wanted to be Chuck Close, Mm. a photorealist. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me that I should be funny or try to be funny in my work. Yeah. Because you just, even though I love Dewar Mm -hmm. and love Prince, I didn't, I didn't understand the humor in them yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so I had a couple of teachers that were fantastic at WashU. Uh, I went to SIU Carbondale for undergrad, and I had a couple of really fantastic teachers there too. And so um, one of my professors, one of the, her name is Joan Hall, and she's absolutely just she's like 
she was a great teacher and she was ter- so mean to me. One of those teachers that you don't realize how good she yeah. was until many years later. She knows this. I told Which her. Which I feel like they're lacking maybe a bit yeah. nowadays. Yeah. I, she knows this. I've told her multiple times. It's not like one of those regret things. She knows. Yeah. And my other, I had another teacher named Doug Dowd who he would do these studio visits with me and I did not know what I wanted to do. I mean, I, there came a point where I just stopped making work completely mm. and I was put on probation. I didn't know what I wanted to make art about. You know, typically you're supposed to have that kind of a breakdown in graduate school, but it's <laughs> usually someone that's 26, 27 years old. I was mm. 23, 22, 23. That's different. Yeah. And so after multiple visits with me and hashing things out and I had a really bad critique where everybody was there, like rock star artists from out of town. It was in front. I flamed out with blank white walls in front of everybody. (laughs) And Doug came to my studio one day and he goes, you know what, Tom? It's okay to be funny. (laughs) And it was like, what? And it just, there's something in that that, clicked and so i started drawing i was trying to do prints and it was slow and i needed to make work fast so i started drawing what was the work like up to that point photorealism oh, okay just straightforward photorealism Pretty much, portraits yeah. portraits yeah. like found photos that i was redrawing large to mm. look like photographs interesting but my family photos oh okay. so i was starting to realize i need to make this stuff about me mm-hmm. and then what happened was um I, I realized that how much I love print history hmm. and something clicked where I realized that all these people made art about themselves mm-hmm. and I'm from a very small town. My dad has so many stories. I have so many stories about crazy hillbillies doing crazy <laughs> shit and there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Than just Jeff Foxworthy jokes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Although so he can be kind of funny. Um, nugget of truth. In the, yeah. There's media. a little <laughs> bit of truth in there. And uh, I started just making work about my family hmm. and things that I had seen. And my last show that I had in graduate school were huge drawings. And I cranked out a ton of work and it shut everybody up. They knew it was like, oh my God, look, what is this? And uh, it was, they were big and they just overwhelmed. Even the installation people, the drawings became installations basically that just knocked people over the head with these crazy scenes and they were drawn straight out of my head. And so then I graduated. What was that called? Oh God, there was no name to them. They were just all individual, individual title. I can't remember. Subject matter was. Like I did one about my brothers, like they, uh, they came, it was deer season and they came home. They were really excited, like early in the afternoon. From and they, the joke was they never got a deer, you know. <laughs> and they brought home a buck, and we were like all excited. And they hit it on the side of the road, you know. And then so that's so they were they all, hit it, with they hit car. it with a car, <laughs> right? So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna make some that's, art about that and that's what got me started going down that road there's yeah. a lot to that yeah yeah on so many different levels and um so then i got out of graduate school and then i went to italy on no money i traveled around for about a month and i thought about 
what I, I was going to do. And by then, I'm very versed in print history mm-hmm. and art historical precedent. And everything that I do to this day has an art historical precedent to it. Yeah. I don't make a move without consulting the print gods. Like a nod. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. always nodding to what came before. And so there are these whole... There's this whole tradition of thematically unified bodies of work, Mm -hmm. uh, portfolios of themed sets of prints. And so I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. Doer's Apocalypse, Mm. you know, Um, The Dance of Death by Holbein and on and on. Mm -hmm. The Glove by Klinger and so many others. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do a set of prints all about crazy stories about my hometown, things that I had heard, things that I've seen. And so I worked about three and a half years on that. 14 woodcuts that were around 30 by 34 inches, which were huge for the day. You know, and that's a commitment. But I hold up, man. I didn't show my work to anybody Yeah. for three years. And then I went and I started driving them around to museums, making cold call appointments. And they bought them right away. That's unthinkable nowadays. In Any, not, it was unthinkable then, but yeah. I didn't have anything to lose. But I was very confident in what I had. I mm-hmm. knew, I knew where it stood, and I I remember just the look on people's faces, you know, when I put all fifteen of those prints out, mm-hmm. you know, and and I had a story to back them up, everything, and it, it was really. But then again, the energy that I had then was very different than what I have now. <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, I was like living in my parents' basement. They were real excited about that, let me tell you. Oh, Tommy's moving back home after graduate school to become a famous artist to Potosi. Great. This is looking up, you know. But I did. Were you shy or were you kind of. Uh, see, I always talk, you know, this podcast is called Anti, and I talk about the negative feedback being more important than positive feedback because it fuels you Mm -hmm. and you just get, Oh, you want to hear the story of the negative feedback? Yeah. All right, man. Because you're operating, you know, there are times in your life Mm -hmm. where if everything is put up against you and this, this happened. Okay. So listen to this one. All right. Um, Back, I'd say I was probably a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And they would do these things called portfolio days, all the art schools. And Kansas City Art Institute is one of them. And what they would do is they'd go to a hotel in a big city and they would set up in the ballroom and they would do an open call to look at people's students' kids portfolios and and recruit basically Hmm. for the art school for the art school and back then i don't know how i got there was no google i don't (laughs) know how i got an announcement i don't i saw it somewhere and um for kansas city art institute was coming to st louis now we i grew up an hour and a half south of here Mm -hmm. and so you know that's i didn't drive Mm -hmm. as a sophomore in high school yet and uh so my dad worked six days a week in his chiropractic practice and this was on a saturday and i convinced dad to take off work and drive me 
to St. Louis to the Clarion Hotel, which is now the Millennium Enclosed. It had the circular, yep. the rotating restaurant yep. at the top. Mm-hmm. That's where it was. Real shishi stuff. Mm-hmm. I had not shown any of my drawings to anybody other than family members. Okay. So dad took me up to St. Louis. So we get there and there's this gigantic ballroom. Okay. And there are hundreds. So you think about it. All the, the schools from St. Louis's people, that's a hop, skip and a jump for them to go down there. Sure. And the Metro East as well, all those schools. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there. We got a number, dad and I, and, uh, there was a line of tables at, at the front of the ballroom with probably 12 people sitting. And so they call your number from a table and you go up, but you didn't take your parent with you. You, mm-hmm. you went by yourself. <laughs> so I went, I got my, I waited an hour. They called my number, went up, I sat there and I had a little portfolio of drawings of mine, which were, I'd like copied TV guide covers and, you know, copied photographs and drawings of sports figures and things. And, uh, just whatever was around you. Well, was around. Yeah. And this, this woman looked at me and she told me, she's like, you know what? These are really quirky. And I don't think that you should follow a career in art. I am 12 years old. She's like, I think you should find something else to do. (laughs) I was completely destroyed. And my dad saw it. And I just sort of got up. She's like, thank you. Next, you know. I was completely destroyed. And uh, so I went back. My dad knew it right away, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, we went to the car. And dad was like, we were driving away. And he he was just like, he looked, he said, you know what, Tommy? He never cursed. He goes, you know what, Tommy? Fuck her. <laughs> You're going to be great. That's awesome. Okay. And we went to Steak and Shake, <laughs> which was exotic stuff. Yeah. And you know, now... There's a hellacious postscript to this story. <laughs> you have no idea. So this is one among many. There's a lot of this yeah. kind of story. So it's 19. So that was 1986. Mm-hmm. So I'd say 1995, nine years later. Remember, I was really young mm-hmm. in graduate school. I was done. I was graduating yeah. and, the, and during the spring semester. And the way that the school where I was at used to do it is the, the, the prospective graduate students would come in mm-hmm. and do interviews, and they would meet with all the students that were going through mm-hmm. the program. And so we get into this room, and there's like a bunch of seats and everything, and the prospective grads come in and I'm sitting there and this woman sits down and it dawned on me it's her (laughs) the woman that shit all over me oh my god right (laughs) and what the way they worked it is 
it would go around the room, we'd all get to ask them questions. This is 12 years late. Nine years later. Nine years later, sorry. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to pick up on what she's saying in answers to make sure, because if I'm going to yeah. do this, if I'm going to nuke this bitch's ass, <laughs> I want it to be sure, right? Well, yeah, of course. And so they, people were asking, okay, what did you do for extracurriculars? What did you do in service for the blah, blah, blah? Tell us about your department. She's printmaking. Oh, God. She comes up, Kansas City Art <laughs> Institute. I'm like, okay. It's her. It's her. And so I'm waiting my turn. I'm like yeah. 11 away and I'm dying. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? The faculty are there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And it comes up to me and I was like, okay, my mouth was Quivered. wet and salivating at the revenge that I was about to take. For this, okay? Can you imagine? I mean, think yeah, about this. Yeah. How often? This is Darth Vader style ultra revenge yeah. that has fallen into my lap, okay? <laughs> and so I asked her. I was like, where did you go to school? I had to do my own last minute research. And she was like, oh, I went to Kansas City. And I was like, okay, what did, what did you do there? Like, what else did you do for the... And she's like, oh, and then she she went into this, well, I I did portfolio days. And I'm like, <laughs> they're hitting, ding, 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 ding. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, what did you do at those portfolio days? And this is in front of everybody. And this is somebody that wants to go to graduate school where I am currently graduating oh my God. from. And this woman told me... How old was she? she it turns out she was like older she had waited to go to grad school it turns so it turns out that you know this is this is it this is it and so i I go what else did you do she's like well i met with students about uh, prospective students in recruiting for the school on portfolio days and i was like you don't remember me do you and that's never a good line (laughs) and she's like "Uh, no no I go you know what I looked right and this is in front of my professors and the other graduate students I looked at her and I go you know what you met with me in 1986 and you told me that I should get out of art as a career and here I am I'm graduating and I'm doing something that you really want to do really bad I don't think you deserve to go to this place. I don't think you got the work either. And I looked at my teachers. I go, I don't think she should go here. Fuck. And I got up and I like mic drop, you know, <laughs> and, and it was just like, blah, blah, blah. and she turned white. And uh, I walked out and I went yeah. to the payphone in the hallway and I called oh, dad. dad. I was like, dad, I got that bitch. I got her. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, I got her. I killed her dad. And he's like, what are you talking about, Tommy? And I went, I go, the woman that shit on me. In and, and you know what? She didn't go. She didn't get in. Fuck her. How dare yeah. you tell? And I think I said something like this to her. Like, how could you tell a 12 year old to stop doing anything, you know, mm. and that that kind of formed me. Yeah, I can imagine know? so. It sounds fucking cathartic as it hell. formed me. The rejection <laughs> formed me because, and my dad formed me. Mm. You know, that was a very very terrible thing. 
that she did. Yeah. And, and, um, there's always something good to say. As much as I hate the banana on the wall, I told you I appreciated the spectacle. <laughs> you can find something good in every shitty piece of artwork. Yeah. You know, hey, I might not dig Britney Spears too much, but those are some catchy tunes written by some, you know, amazing songwriters. You can always find something positive. Yeah. Except maybe Ed Sheeran or whatever that guy can't oh, stand yeah. that stuff. But, I'm but not a big fan. But but you know, <laughs> That that happened, and that has been like the way it's been. So you're going to get people throwing hurdles at you for the sake of just getting their own jollies off. Yeah, all your life at this, you know. Was there a, in this epic course of events? <laughs> it's just still going on. <laughs> did you? Well, were you uh, like? How did did your personality start to form because of this? specific incident where you like man fuck she was the authority now i'm the authority yeah and it means nothing yes know? i i was a very shy hmm. kid and i was a very shy early adult and part of this it doesn't help to like be a fanboy like i was talking about hmm when you've digested the bios of all of your heroes as gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm a humongous motorhead fan, mm -hmm. you know? And so Lemmy is like my life. My Frank Zappa is another one life model. I love Caravaggio too, but he <laughs> killed two people. So I won't go that far, but, but, um, you know, <laughs> Lautrec, mm. Toulouse Lautrec. There's another one of my big heroes. I, when people started paying attention to me for my work, I went completely into what I thought mm -hmm. it meant to live this life. And I'm talking completely. Mm -hmm. And it was a fucking blast. <laughs> <laughs> I had a blast with it. You know, Girls, finally, I got to draw them, you know. You became the rock star, it sort was, of. Well, that's a strong word. I mean, art. but it was in your own terms. Fun. Yeah. It was fun. And I took complete advantage of all the opportunities. And it was a lot of fun. I learned from it. Um, I managed the thing, though. Thing is, though, I managed to make a lot of work. I still worked every day. I didn't let it get in the way. The work yeah. was always the priority. It still is. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell people that you have to build your life around your art, not the other way around, mm. or you're never going to make any art, yeah. which means I call it pulling the dick card, which <laughs> means like, hey, sorry, guys, I know it's the first communion or I know it's a <laughs> baptism. I got to go to the studio today. Yeah. You know, that doesn't sit well with civilians. No. Okay. And that is how I live my life. Still, I may not party as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, but even with all that, I still made work every day. And so, you know, building your life around your art, it comes with a price yeah. for sure. 
I'm, I, you know, I, you still deal with it. I mean, I've been divorced twice. Hmm. You know, and some of that has to do with it. Some of it doesn't. Yeah. You know. What was uh, what started happening after you started driving the deer the deer hunting series or that first series? Oh, uh, man. I, you said I you started, were going to museums? So I sold to museums before I sold to anybody. That's amazing. I, for my first art sale was to the Fog at Harvard, the Fog Art Museum at Harvard. And what year was that? 1998. Gotcha. 21 years ago now. Yeah. And it, then did somehow did press arrive from that or yeah, how did all you, of it came gotcha. you know and then i i started doing a lot of uh having a lot of shows some a couple museum shows right away and um i learned the business there was this place called landfall press in chicago they were in chicago then they're in santa fe now they really gave me a foot in the door there's this guy named jack lemon and he has a printer named steve campbell there um, they they've printed everybody like mm-hmm. Chuck Close mm-hmm. and you know I mean on and on and on I mean Christo and all these big time they printed prints by them and they invited me up to do a print when I was like 24 25 years old 24 probably and when I like did, a residency of sorts no what they do is the there are shops where they will collaborate with with these rock star artist basically mm-hmm. to make editions that they then gotcha. sell. And so like prints that you see by Chuck Close are usually done at a place, you know, a, a big time pro print shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, me, I'm a self publisher now. I wasn't then I was on my way to being, which means I print my own work. I sure. don't go to master printers and to have them help. I print my own with some people sometimes working for me, but it's published by my shop, mm-hmm. which is an unusual thing, especially back then. And uh, they gave me a foot in the door, and like right away, man, I sold work to the Whitney. Like within a within a month or two of going to Landfall and doing a print there, it immediately got looked at. It immediately was looked at at the highest ends of the art print world. And I'm 24, Jeez. and so that. That opened up doors to just, I sold directly to museums. And Jack, the master printer and owner of that place, he told me, he was like, well, you know, you can print, you can publish these yourself, you know? And I was like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, you could do this yourself. Just, you got to do it right. Which Mm -hmm. he meant, you know, get good equipment, get some good help struggle and go broke and then you'll do it you'll you'll be you'll have a career and all this can be yours you'll have a career and so that's kind of where it <laughs> where it, where it kind of started and it was weird you know my friends we got all got out of graduate school at around the same time and they were all getting these big time teaching jobs tenure track mm-hmm. And I didn't get those. I, I don't know what it was when they'd they'd have me out for an interview. I thought that was the path. And you wanted that too. Well, you want it because it's money. Yeah. You know, I didn't. What are the odds? Mm-hmm. You know that I'd be sitting here talking to you twenty five years later about, hey, I'm making a living off of this right. now at, at the museum level. Come on. So teaching is kind of a thing. That's an unspoken, you know, well, you're probably going to teach. That's what you're going to do. And all my friends were getting these big time teaching jobs, but none of them were selling to museums, Mm -hmm. but I was. And it was right in front of me. And then eventually I ended up getting asked to teach here and there. And then it ends up burritoing into this giant 
responsibility aside from my studio and I could balance that for a few years and then it just became obvious I had to make a choice and then I ended up getting myself fired basically for, <laughs> for multiple reasons because you know people that are careers yeah. in academia can smell it oh, and can yeah. sense it when they got somebody that doesn't give a fuck about titles on their hands <laughs> I could care less oh this is the so-and-so endowed professorship of blah, blah, blah in public art with a cooperation in blah, 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 supported by, you know, they have a 10 rung title that they wear as a medal around their neck at graduations. I don't give a fuck <laughs> about that, man. I wanted to teach the kids yeah, and I wanted to make my shit. Mm-hmm. And my teaching, I always felt was being an example. Mm-hmm. to the kids and I was a good teacher it's just the last three or four years I wasn't as good of a teacher because I was having you know Laumeyer I'm doing a project at Laumeyer Sculpture Park okay well when am I going to find time to do that yeah. you know nobody else there is doing that right. at, on the faculty you know oh and I went on the road with Motorhead mm-hmm. for like <laughs> a month through Germany and I that was on my Christmas break oh my god okay you know who's who's doing that? What was when did you get the first commercial work to come in? The Roots. That was the very first commercial. My job. first commercial gig was oh my the God. Roots. That's insane. I got okay. All right, here's another. There's so many stories. I'm like thinking, surely he did like no. some stuff locally. No, you know, nothing. My first. I didn't know what illustration was. I didn't know. So, I was teaching, and. This the woman who was maybe it was an assistant to the the person in the office at the school. Uh-huh. I was teaching a drawing a drawing class in the afternoon, and this woman came in and she's like, "Here's a note for you," and she handed me like a sticky note, <laughs> and it said, "This is pre, this is early enough, yeah, two thousand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everybody had a cell phone, Mm-mm. not, and Google wasn't." No smartphone. There was no, you had <laughs> I, I internet stuff, but it wasn't like it is now. And so she handed me this note during my class break, and she saw it said on it, call MCA Records immediately with Damn. a phone number. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, oh my God, you know, you they like, got yeah. me down. No, I thought they caught me for downloading from Napster. <laughs> and so I went to the office and I did, I deleted all my iTunes and shit. <laughs> all it, I was in, oh, I guess I better call the, That's the number. And I called them and it turned out to be this thing. And the next thing you know, I'm in LA and all that stuff. <laughs> and so that was my, I didn't know who they were. Yeah. I had no idea. And then it turned into this. I did the gig. I drew it all out. We were sending faxes back and forth of the prelims. And then finally, I got a FedEx envelope with a FedEx number. And I was in Austin, Texas, traveling through. And I threw it in the in the FedEx mail. And it shipped out to L.A. And I didn't hear anything about it again for six months. But they paid me before I drew a line wow. directly to my bank account. Oh, my God. Wired the so money. how did you know how to bid that? Okay, this is good. I had no idea. So I got this offer to do it, and I have this great, one of my best friends, his name's Monty Beauchamp. Mm-hmm. He's the editor of Blab Publications mm-hmm. out of Chicago, and I met him through drinking and <laughs> partying in Chicago with artists that are really good friends of mine. This artist named Tony Fitzpatrick. And so 
Monty, I knew, had done a lot, knew the world of illustration and all the commercial gigs and all that. And I called him and I told him, I was like, Monty, I got this. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, what record company? I go, MCA. And he's like, fuck. <laughs> he's like, listen. He was like, he got like this. He's like, what? 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 And he goes, listen. You need to listen to me. And so he, he told me how to talk to him, how to bid it. That's awesome. And all that stuff. And I did exactly what Monty said. And when they shot me the number, it was so much higher than what I thought. I was like, okay, yes, I'll do it for that. And so that's how it happened. And then I was in Chicago when the album phrenology mm-hmm. is what we're talking about here. Though. Yeah. If you don't know one of the, I mean, is the roots kind of, it's their sort of masterpiece. I was, I was about to say tipping point, but that was their next album. Yeah. But this is, probably their most infamous album yeah and it's all pop culture it's, it's like a big deal i did not know i didn't realize and so i went to tower records in yeah. chicago tower remember that yep. and i it, the day it came out because i knew and it had this big fucking head mm. that i drew with the shelves in it with the cds it's on t-shirt stickers i was like oh i sold that everywhere d- d- away and then like <laughs> You know, it was cool. Like, like you see, they're on Letterman. And, yeah. and when he says, ladies and gentlemen, art. the roots, and he holds up mm. the album cover that you did, that's far out stuff. That's insane. And then I got to go record for it, <laughs> you know, in the mail. That's right? amazing. It's unbelievable. And that thing, I, here you are. You're my one. It gets brought up. Yeah. Once every two weeks. Oh, for my God. 20 well, years. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's it's an amazing thing to be affiliated with. I had somebody that come. I, Did you get to work the with them? Or, or, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I yeah. would imagine uh, so, Questlove would be. He's a cool dude. On I mean, point. I, I met up with them at. They did that on that tour. They came to the pageant. Mm, I was and there. It was. Yeah, I was. Yeah. That, it was the backdrop. Yep. Behind it. That's fucking far out. Yeah. I saw them at. Uh, I think it was Velvet or something. They played yeah. a, this was a great memory. They played a Valentine's Day show and it was sponsored by Cool. You know, and this is like, this is late 90s or early 2000s yeah. and before phrenology. And uh, that would have been Things Fall Apart. Yes. Well, one of my favorite albums yeah. of all time. Yeah. And they go, uh, the show tonight is sponsored by Cool Cigarette. The Roots would, per- yeah, and they're passing out cigarettes yeah. and lighters. Prefer and that you do not smoke yeah. within Please them. don't smoke throughout the, their set. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, ooh, I like okay, this. Okay, well, it's here's like the funny cool part money. of that not smoking. Yeah. Oh, my God. At the pageant, <laughs> oh, yeah. so much not, weed. Yeah, not cigarette smoke. Not cigarette <laughs> smoke. And I'm allergic. I'm oh, allergic to, to weed smoke? Yes. Oh I'm allergic God. to weed, period. I'm so sorry for yeah, you. Yeah, I know. That's why I drank so much. And like oh, speed. Man. I like speed. That Oof. was my thing. That's what I like. Not anymore. I, well, I it still would, like it. I just don't do it. What, anymore. it would slow things down for you while you're working? No, I just like the feeling of it. Mm. I never worked on... Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on it. Yeah. You know, speed. Yeah, sometimes you just have to do something like that. You know, it's what happened coffee's when, enough. What happened when Adderall became widely available? Oh, I, I was kind of past. Past it then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people get it all. I've never taken any speed or any Adderall oh, or anything. Oh, but see, I got that like, oh, this will be cool because yeah. Motorhead does it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what Motorhead is, is the word means speed freak yeah. motorheads blah 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 you know right if there are in the music don't connote that <laughs> right man and it, you know and let me that's what he, jack daniels and speed because like you they say if you if you 
if you took you speed, can level out. You level it out. Yeah. Then you're you coast. Yeah. And I'm like coast. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, your uh, BPMs are like uh, 140. <laughs> right, man. And I, I actually did a little bit of it when I was in Scotland a couple of years ago for yeah. the first time in like eight years, and I I was feeling. I was feeling it because I needed. Is it like a pill? For, or no, what? mine was not all right, pill. All right, all right, I got gotcha. you. It was, you know, it was it was it was powder. Yes. and and so and I did it, and I thought, oh my god, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I had to. I had to. You just I, felt one it. day. I was like, this is not okay. Yeah. So I stopped. I haven't. Done you felt anymore. the weariness. I felt creeping the, out of you. the sweats. Um, and the, because I wasn't acclimated for one thing and mm-hmm. it, it was cool at like for the first three hours. And then it was like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, you know, I'll put some motorhead on and drink some coffee, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that'll, that's how that'll, it is now in your, in that, your that's how later forties. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll crank up the mega death. Good. That's good. Because I want you uh, to live a, a little bit longer than, uh, don't talk. Can Lemmy. we not talk about death? We started this <laughs> off with death. Fuck. I thought somebody obsessed with the door would be what down else, to talk about. <laughs> what else you got for me? So what I want to know what happened then after you did the roots album, that's like kind of let the floodgates open up commercial. Artwork. No, no, it's weird. It didn't, it didn't do anything. You know, it, it, it upped my profile. Sure. But I didn't get, I've never done another album cover. I didn't even think about that. I've never done another one. That's my one. And uh, I'm okay crazy. with that. You don't, yeah, yeah. I came close. I came close with uh, Motorhead. Yeah, but I would things imagine. were getting really. I did posters for them, I did t shirt designs for them, uh, did a backdrop that didn't get used for them, and then it got used for something else. And um, you good. And. Uh, it was late in their career and mm-hmm. things were weird with management, I think, but I never did another one. And what, but at, you got to realize that at the same time that I was doing that roots thing, the other stuff, the museums and the shows were going yeah, crazy. So it, it sort of moved, it was moving fast in and other ways too. And, and then it's still that way. Uh, so did stuff like other random things eventually start to come? Or are you just then you were doing all the museum work and then setting up kind of your workshop and your studio? All that happened gradually. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved back to St. Louis. Where were you living? I was in Columbia with my first wife for about a year or two. And then I Columbia, moved Missouri. Columbia, Missouri. Mm. And I moved back here because of the cheap rent downtown mm. at the time, the Washington Avenue lofts and stuff. And I figured, well, I need a shop. I'll put one in a loft down there. And I had that for like five or six years. And then I started learning the, the ins and outs of bad landlords. Mm. I have a great landlord now. <laughs> I have for many years, but like, you know, I, I, uh, you know, that rent is always a pain in the ass yeah in this business it's terrible it's the hardest thing to pay hmm. and you know i i learned a lot i put together the workshop and by then by about 2002 or 2003 i was full-blown had a real shop of hmm. uh, presses and assistants and my assistants are not paid like 
regular people are paid. I give yeah. them access and I buy all their materials. They're kids just out of undergrad and right. they get a recommendation from me for graduate school and that kind of thing for putting in the time and they learn the business a it's little awesome. bit. That's how I pay people. You kept teaching though. Ah. Uh, yes. But on your own terms. I realized that I'm uh, it happened about a year and a half ago, I realized that I'm still a teacher <laughs> too, you know. But it is on my own terms. I do workshops in the summertime and Things like that. Well, has there also been uh, kind of a repopularity in printmaking? It feels like over the past ten years or so. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> I actually, and and you know what, I'm there's it's 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 a mixed bag, but yes, mm-hmm. there is a po- a reemerging popularity about it because of. The I don't know what the, the outsider art kind of thing with sure. the skateboard and I don't want to call that outsider art but it's like the do it yourself kind of aesthetic. This is now old. I mean, yeah. skateboards and t-shirt printing and all that stuff. The nineties are now the seventies for when we correct sixties for when we were growing up. Correct, which is crazy to think it is about. weird. <laughs> it, I there is a reemergence of it, but. Um, there are pockets of what people like mm. in it. And uh, I will say, it takes me a while to get around to talking like this mm-hmm. about myself, but I and about three or four other people, we I think we brought some of the rock and roll element to the world of printmaking. For um, sure. We brought that tattoo thing. Mm-hmm. We, you know, because we, I was getting tattoos, making this stuff, and now it's so funny. You go when I would go and do a visiting artist gig in two thousand and one or two thousand. It, it nobody had tattoos <laughs> around there in printmaking. Yeah, and now it's like you know, I have my friend Bill Fick, who's this great printmaker, one of my heroes. He does these big, drippy, snot monster zombie head prints. Mm-hmm. They're just killer. He was doing those things for years. They had a big influence on me, and you know, he sort of stepped out of the scene for a while and was just holding up making his work and wasn't doing many public events or public appearances. And one time he was, this is just a few years ago, we were at this big print conference or whatever, and all these kids get a chance at the open portfolio to show their stuff. And so Bill was, came up to my table. I was doing a thing for Takish Press, who sponsors my shop, and he came up, and I was like, what are you doing? Let's go get a drink later. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go check out the open portfolio. I go, okay, cool, man. Check About out the what? The open portfolio, where oh, he's going to go you. look at all the kids' work. And uh, he leaves for about an hour, and he comes back, and he's got this look on his face, <laughs> and he was like, Oh my God. I go, what? He's like, all these kids are like, Mr. Fick, look at my zombie booger print. And he was like, Oh my God. We, they're doing what, you know, we do. You right. know, no, it's I get it. so That's fucking weird awesome. to see that, that change. And I, I'm very. I'm pretty proud of that. I think we change things. I think the outlaw printmakers. That's the group mm-hmm. that sort of I've been associated with about six or seven of us. We had a we had an effect on that world. It was first of all, it was anti-academia. Yeah. Academia, because academic printmakers. No offense to what that is. For a long time, it was all just Beauty. sort of color. Mm. 
color experimentation, really heavily technical, like yeah. this is my etching with eight colors with the five time dipped in the acid. Or abstract. amoebas, yeah, abstract yeah. amoeba. We call them amoeba prints. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no offense. I don't also I'm gonna say it because That's it's just hilarious. like it's just like what one of my friends, dear friends. A guy named David McCracken, who's been my host over in Scotland, he calls them quiet life prints. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, that's perfect. We, yeah. We're not in the business of making quiet life prints. Yeah. Stuff that matches your fucking couch. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's not what we're about. And around the late 90s, it was a lot of. Yeah. It was a lot of just like kind of boring old lady, no offense, old lady <laughs> prints and stuff. And then here we, you know, let's bring some fucking contrast medi- bring and some story medieval <laughs> yes. imagery back and let's bring some fucking metal, heavy metal into this stuff. Because like I said, any one of those doer prints could have been an album cover for Iron Maiden. Yeah. I, I, you know, we wanted to bring it back a little bit to what it was about originally. It's about art for the people, like, you know, dark and lurid, satirical, sure. social commentary and criticism based stuff. Yeah. And it scared people in that world. For sure. It didn't scare some people, people like Landfall Press that I was talking about. That's what they're in the business of doing. Yeah. Let's get the real stuff going here and put it out there. But in schools, it kind of was like, let's play it safe. Let's just do, you know, don't want to get anybody upset. Calm down. <laughs> we're I, not We're not calming down. We're like twisted <laughs> sister, busting through the wall, you know. And that's informed the educational academics nowadays, I feel. It has changed things for a little sure. bit, for sure. It has, re- in art, in printmaking areas mm-hmm. at universities, it is rampant. I, we had an effect. We did. How long it lasts, I don't know. I don't yeah. really care because there'll be something coming around 20 years from now that'll change it all up again, and that's great. Do you ever feel trapped by your style? Like, no. God damn it, I just want to do a flower. No, <laughs> if I, no but I, I will. Like, maybe, like when I'm like... Yeah, another 20 years. 90. <laughs> another 50 years. Another 30, 32 years or something, I'm 48. <laughs> I'll be hanging out at a whole folks home doing flower window cuts <laughs> when everybody else is doing demons and Satan's. yeah, you know, that'll be okay. I'll be fine with that. You know, I've earned my stripes to be able to do it. I don't mind those prints. I like a beautiful flower print. That's totally cool. It's just not me. Yeah. You know, I gotta be me in my work and that, upsets people a lot of times right. because it's about being honest. Totally. Any honesty scares people. Honesty and uh, the grotesque and all the things that you oh, focus on. I remember the other rule. Oh, what is you it? You did it. Okay. If you want, rule number two yes. is if you want me to make nicer prints, make this fucking world a nicer place. Mm. There. That's how That's I look great. at it. Yeah. It's like Johnny Cash, man. Yep. I think that song, Man in Black. Oh, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day, <laughs> but that's not the way it is out here, man. Right. And that's sort of my, I live by that. You know, I get a lot of flack for the grotesque and the, but that's what, 
what's going on. And it's real. And yeah. what's interesting is that I think that like um, your work pre-smartphone, pre-internet of today oh, God. started to yeah. communicate that. When people are like, this isn't for real. And you're like, no, these are true fucking stories. Hey, man, the, the other, what you brought up about, that's another thing that really sucks is mm-hmm. that you've got all these Instagram geniuses. Yeah. They make work that looks great on a, what is it, a half inch by yeah. a, a three quarter inch by three quarter inch square. Right. And then you see the shit in real life. And me and my friends are like, well, they put the Da Vinci filter on that yeah. one, didn't they? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I have a problem. My stuff, it doesn't translate. No. You have to see it live. That's what this is about. I do the best I can because I have to have a website. I have to have the Instagram to live and survive because that's the way it's For gone sure. now. I do the do the best I can, but ultimately, you're not going that print of mine, Electric Baloney Land. Mm. It's eight feet by thirteen feet. You can't get that from a phone. Mm-mm. So you got to go out and see it. And there's another problem. People are fucking lazy. They don't yeah. want to go see stuff. But I will say, I was just at the Art Institute of Chicago a couple of weeks ago. It was fucking packed. Yeah. Lines outside. I mean, it was, and that's cool. That's cool to it's see. It's awesome. There is definitely a resurgence of interest in art and, and seeing it. You know, I think people realize that like... Uh, like your work or, uh, you know, one of the first that stood out to me was Jasper Johns. You don't really got to see that stuff in real you life. You don't understand man. what encaustic is until you see right. it. The layers, right. the pieces of newspaper, the wax, everything yeah. on that piece of work. It's a spiritual thing. It is completely. To me, that's like going to church. Although I will say I have a hard time. Like when I go to see shows like in a museum or whatever, you mm. know, I, you, 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 uh, when you see a Van Gogh, like we know it, everybody knows it. Oh, it's on the fucking coffee mug. It's on yeah. computer mouse pads. It's on, you know, what underwear, you know, they've it's been commercialized. It's commercialized. To death. When I, or people look at it, you know, they know that coming into it. So they have a preconceived notion and they know that he, they think he was crazy. Mm. You know, they, all that stuff. I, I, I love Van Gogh. He's one of my favorite painters of all time. I have a hard time looking at it like regular people look at it because I'm like thinking, God, do you know how hard it is to get that to this point? You're saying technically. Lifestyle-wise. Yeah. I You know, it's just... I have, you know, to make something that's going to last for generations sure. after you're gone. There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. And and it more it's sacrifice and a lot of heartbreak and struggle. And, you know, I always say this to people, you know, buy the fucking work. Mm-hmm. They should have given that guy. Go, you see that guy over in the field out there in, <laughs> in Arl? You see that guy over there in the field? Yeah. Go give him a sandwich, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Help him out, you know that I have a a hard time with it sometimes being moved in the wrong maybe not in the wrong way in a different way by art you know what do you I, mean? I look at the struggle i I yeah. see there's a lot of work, yeah, and a lot of negative experiences that go on 
in a person that has to stand for the art mm-hmm. and to live for the work. And you make that choice. Um, there's other thing too, you know, Van Gogh did not fucking kill himself on purpose. That was a fucking accident. <laughs> okay, you tell me. This is how shit happens, although I'm all about mythologizing sometimes and all that stuff. But you tell me, man. Let's say that tomorrow, okay, you're a guy, mm-hmm. which means that you have a penis and balls. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Which would be a v- controversial statement nowadays. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But in the traditional sense. <laughs> yes. If you decide that you're going to kill yourself, Mm. what guy do you know is like, you know what? I'm going to get a gun and shoot myself in the balls. (laughs) Who's going to do that? No, he did. It was an accident. Mm. He had a gun to scare off crows when he was painting in the field and it, he tucked it in between his legs Mm. with the barrel facing ball sack is junk and when he went to grab it, it went off and shot himself in the groin. That's what happened. That's crazy how unfamiliar I am with his story of his death because the ear ranks precedence. People want to believe everything. that shit because yeah. it's easy. Like, oh, you know, are they going to see a Van Gogh? Right. Because of how earth shatteringly original and beautiful it is. Or are they seeing the freak show? Yeah. You know, that bothers me a little bit. Sure, the fetishization. The fetishization of mental illness. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if he was mentally ill. I think everybody else was mentally ill around him. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't recognize their fault that they didn't recognize his genius. Yeah. It's their problem. His brother did. His brother did, yes. So, you know, I like I said, I absorbed the life styles of and i've read i read i don't read fiction well that's to me that's the art appreciation i have a friend who uh he uh he's a photographer up and coming and um he didn't appreciate basquiat and then he started to read about basquiat you know and then he started to understand like oh this is more than scribbles and squiggles and everything i understand the bullshit that he had to put up with in the art scene at that time basquiat could draw basquiat could draw you know who else could draw De Kooning could draw, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. Picasso was a motherfucker when mm. it came to drawing. But to the general public, they think they're full of shit. Right. You know, uh, or not, or there's they can't draw. No. no. You got to know and master Picasso the rules what, you to know, be able to break them. Right. That's the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing a film when I was in kindergarten, a Picasso on a glass pane, looking through the glass, painting a bull. Mm-hmm. Like it was a wonders of the world thing. And it was film strip. So it's like, you know, and I remember seeing him. He's looking right at you, but not watching his hand draw it and oh, smiling, yeah. drawing a ball. I was like, that guy's a badass. <laughs> you know, I want to be like that guy. You know, I think that that uh, I, I'm OK with some mythology because yeah. it's fun. For sure. You want to believe the myth sometimes but when it gets to the point that it starts to affect the view of the work i think it can be a problem how much have you personally had to put up with any of that kind of myth or fetishization of being the tattooed guy from mid-missouri that's in the art world i don't know yet i think it's still too early to be honest with you because i i think maybe i think people have a preconceived notion of what my work is gonna be yeah if it's new, you know, 
which is fine. I mean, hey, when I got a Motorhead record, I didn't want to pick up a reggae record. <laughs> okay? Right. I, and if I get a Prince album, I don't want to hear him doing country music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's okay. I'm okay with some of that. I think that... uh the image sometimes, hey, you know, part of the reason I'm not teaching anymore is because what I realized is these idiots in academia believed my hype. Mm. <laughs> the image that I put out there, I did a really good job yeah. when I was in my early 20s and late, well, late 20s of putting out that, hey, it's all strippers and lap dances over at Evil Prince 24-7. That was only true. Yeah. For about one day of the week. <laughs> okay. But you know, it gets blown up and everything. And I don't think it ever really affected the perception of the work negatively because I think one of the things that works, number one, I can back up every mm -hmm. single move that I make with art history. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. I can back up every single move I make with like in terms of promotion yeah. and hype. You know, Hogarth, one of my big heroes, you know, he took out ads in the newspaper when he had a new fucking print for sale. You know, hey, that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what I do. You know, that's 200 years ago or whatever. Okay. I, I can back it up. The second reason that I think that I can overcome some of that stuff is like, okay, if you, you know, technically I can, I can do it. Yeah. You know, I I'm pushing things and craft. Right. There's an element of craft in my work that I can carry it. That, that takes it away. It's not just some tattooed guy trying something, guy out. trying yeah. something out to pass one over on some unsuspecting art patrons or something. It's it not like that. It was interesting when I uh, stumbled into that show in New York two years ago. You went to the Burner show. Yeah. Well, we, I was with some friends doing some uh, work in the studio next door. Really? And in the 526 building over there. Yes. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I still have the posters and everything that, cool. that were given out. But it was just interesting to take in the work of, you know, who I look at as a fellow Missourian or, you know, being analyzed by people in the New York art scene and, you know, like, you know, just like, oh, blah, you know, like hearing yeah. them talk even. Yeah. And things they had to say yeah. Yeah. and like how well respected the work was. And then like comparing and contrasting that with like, I don't know, something that RFT might have reprinted mm -hmm. uh, years and years yeah. ago. Yeah. And it's like, you know, is it like... It, Maybe that's all art world is like a, a bit of gawking, a bit of voyeurism. Well, there has artist. to be a little bit of that. I mean, I understand a little bit of that. It, it's a pretty, To connect with the art. It's a really big thing to be able to, for me, as I get a little bit older, to realize that I'm able to do this, number one, for mm -hmm. a living. Mm -hmm. But it's also pretty rewarding to be even hinted at by people yeah. that are experts of of the history of Prince as being a little bit of that, part of a little bit of that. And you know, man, I'm out, I am. I'm out to make print history. I'm out to make art history. It's every time awesome. I make a fucking print, I, I think about it every day. It's, it's no joke. I wake up and I go into the studio and think, how am I going to make prints that are as good as my heroes? Mm -hmm. If I don't, I'm a failure. So I carry that with me. So whenever a place like C.G. Burner comes along, which is the oldest 
print dealer in the world <laughs> and they sell you know the St. Louis art or you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and you go and you see the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse print mm-hmm. that they have there okay I'm not sure about this but I'm pretty sure the people that sold that to the Metropolitan is C.G. Burner okay <laughs> one of the, those prints okay in the fucking early 1900s right that's who represents me. Yeah. Now. And so. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. Uh-huh. And and it, I think that kind of changed things for me, too. That was another kind of level thing where when that show that you went to, mm-hmm. Bologna, Electric Bologna Land, yep. when that thing came out, that kicked off all of Print Week for yeah, that was a couple huge. years ago. I forgot about and that. And all these, the, the print people from all all over the world mm-hmm. were there yeah. that night to see my shit. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. I was pumped. It's pretty <laughs> amazing. It was pretty amazing. And that changed things because I think it brought some of more of the museum people around that sure. thought it was all just, oh, this is a a, a fart print. Mm-hmm. Oh, Huck's mm-hmm. doing the vomit prints this time. Or, oh, there's, oh, there's sex. It's all going to be hillbillies having sex. Yeah. You know, which I've done all that stuff. But I'm, I've said to many people, I'm perfectly fine being the Ozzy Osbourne of the print world. I'm perfectly <laughs> fine with that. Completely okay. Do you have narratives that you write up for these pieces? Almost, I plan everything out. Okay. Everything has six months to three years of planning behind it before I go into it. I mean, I feel like there's a, you could accompany an entire story or a novella behind each oh, series so of prints. Much. I've got so many things that are going through my head all the time. I, I actually got um, scolded by Jen, my woman, um, <laughs> about I, I've I'm already I'm in the middle of this Scotland project and mm-hmm. I'm planning yeah. in my sketchbook. I'm so excited about the next <laughs> three years. You know, she's like, you need to just okay. Fine, sketch it out, draw it out. You need to put that shit away. You got to finish what you're doing now. I have a lot. I've got the next 15 years planned. That's I mean, crazy. Out. I've got titles for some things. I've got ideas for some, you know. And I think I'm probably going to end up getting away from the big, huge triptychs for a couple of years after mm-hmm. this one. I need to take a break, but I've got, I'm going to do a bunch of smaller stuff and I've got one mid-sized project. I think I'm going to do an artist book. A book. A book. Great. Everything's like, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell you uh, off air. All right. Uh, but yeah, I've got that. That's the one I had to put away for. I was a also looking for an archive of your work and there really isn't anything out there. There's a book coming out. Okay. Um, this guy named Jim Harper. Uh, I know Jim. He, Jim's yeah. doing the big book right awesome. now. Great guy. Him and Chris, they're, they're doing a book. Um, it's going to be a huge coffee table, all like 25, 30 years of everything. That'd be My awesome. sketchbooks are in there. That'll be out probably around the time of the next show in, in New York. Okay. Um, and when is the next show? Well, I've got other shows before that, but the next New York show is October 26th ish. I've got it down to the day because that's the 2020. First, 2020. I want to be there. I've got it. You can <laughs> come. You, it's the next big triptych that, and it's the follow up to Bologna Land. So it's there's there's some expectation behind it for sure. The other side of that is that you've also kept some uh, accessibility in your work as well. 
which I think is very cool. In what ter- you mean? In being able to afford it or go to the yeah. Evil Prince yeah. uh, holiday show, yeah. which is now turning into a bigger thing. Yeah. Well, we look, We I had this thing happen where, so my first time I ever got to show anything in New York, like I said early, a, a bit back, was Landfall Press. Mm-hmm. They took one of my prints that I did with them, my first one. I don't know if it was my second print that I did with them. They took it to the big armory show in New York mm. for during print week. And that was far out stuff, man. I was like, holy cow. And so I flew out. They flew me out there. I was all excited. And I go to the opening at the armory and I walk up to the booth where they got my stuff up. And I'm like, okay. And Jack, but the way he is, he's awesome. He, he's not a cuddly, touchy feely <laughs> kind of guy. He didn't say, hello, how was your flight? Glad you're here. He goes, Huck, I got good news and bad news for you. I'm like, okay, Jack, what's the good news? He goes, the good news is the kids love your shit. What's the bad news? The kids don't buy shit. Okay? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a long-term deal here. Yeah. So over the years, I started doing these events with the Outlaw Printmakers where we would like take the work out into rock clubs and mm. table prints for under $50. Yeah. And all my friends, I didn't have anything like that. And I constantly had younger people coming up and they say, Oh, I love your work, but you know, and I can't really afford it. So I started doing $10 prints. Yeah. You know, we print a lot of them. They're still hand printed. They're signed. Mm. And, I sell them for $10 and you could get like, I call it the brown bag special. You can yep. get a choice of three and we pick the fourth one. They're the war wigglers or I do yeah. something like animals because everybody likes animals, you know? Mm-hmm. So next up is apocalyptic pets. That's going to be <laughs> my next post nuclear North Korea animals that I'm <laughs> that you adopt for pets. So that's the next wave of affordables. I haven't even started those yet, but I haven't had a lot of time to get to the affordables, but that was affordable. I, like I call them the affordables and I felt kind of bad about it because mm-hmm. I have work that sells anywhere from $10 to $20,000. Sure. Okay. And there's this guy named Richard field Dick and he, uh, he's a world renowned print curator Doer scholar, and he came to like interview me like a few years ago. And I was like, far out. You know, this guy was the head of Yale's, you know, museum oh for God. years, right? And uh, he, he, I told him about these affordables. He was asking questions on what are they like and do these. And I go, yeah, I kind of feel bad about it. He's like, Tom, 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 Tom. Doer had his minor prints too. And I was like, oh. He did. They did little odd things. And that's the same thing. I'm sure that they were to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, while he's waiting on a check from the emperor Maximilian or some shit. I think it's badass. You know, and I I think, you know, I I get the idea that I'm trying to create limited edition work that's going to sell for a lot of money. And, you know, uh, but um, most of the time, the artist doesn't even reap the benefits of when that work resells. Most of the time, not. Right. You know? I have to split 50% with every gallery. Which is, to me, a whole nother podcast. It uh, is. It's an insane There's thing. There's nothing to you can do about it. Right, except start up your own gallery. You can, but that's, th- that <laughs> is, you know, you or end up being Damien a gallerist and not the studio. Well, it's kind of like a, it's a double-edged sword. Sure. To that. 
when the, what about what Hearst has done with selling the online right. sales and mm-hmm. uh, which is a very interesting topic. We can save that for another God, that's time. That's a day. That's uh, yeah, a that's day a, the art <laughs> business and all that stuff. But now everything it seems like is coming into, you know, you got your teaching background, you've got your fine art, you got the affordables. What's going on with this new graphic house? Okay. All right, my my friend and partner in business, uh, JT Felix, he's my master printer. He prints all my stuff at the shop. Very nice guy. He is awesome. <laughs> he drives me crazy because he's so grumpy. But um, I think that's just because he's tired. And he, I came back from Scotland two mm-hmm. years ago. And Jen, that's... My, my your girl, my your girl, woman. my woman. She hates when I call her my wife because. Everybody's saying partner now. I hate that. It sounds, it sounds like, like we're in a law firm together, or that you're detectives on the beat. Yeah, right. That's my beat. <laughs> you know, we're going out to arrest. I. <laughs> she told me she's like, hey, you know, we had discussion. We got to keep JT mm-hmm. because he'd been around. He came to boot camp. He mm-hmm. stayed on as one of my what we then called crew. Now they're called press assistants. He's been with me a long time, and it was getting to that time where he was going to have to go on. And do his own shop, yeah. start up his own thing. But I, every once in a while, there's somebody that comes along that you need to figure out how to keep. Yep. And so I was thinking this, and I came back from Scotland, and he and his friend Jackson, who also works for Evil Prince, they're like, we need to talk to you. You're going to be in on Wednesday. I was like, oh, yeah. And I thought they're going to fucking go open up their own shop across the street. And I'm going to, they're going to be enemies, you know, that kind of thing. I was so freaked out. And they sat me down and they completely threw a curveball at me. They were like, listen, there's a space opening up one door over. And I go, I'm thinking, dear God, they're not even going across town. And they, they were like, what if we opened up, moved our screen print shop, Evil Prints, over there and did a retail mm-hmm. for Evil Prints? And I was just like floored. And I was like, okay, all right. And then I was like, oh my God, <laughs> these guys have no idea what they're getting into, which is completely <laughs> what people said about me. Yeah. And... So I said, okay, man, you guys got to do all, uh, I'm so busy. You do all the grunt work. I'll be the annoying advisor and backseat driver on it. Mm -hmm. You guys make this work. And there, here we are, we're opening Friday. And that was over a year and a half ago. (laughs) And what it is, it's, it's our screen print shop where we'll do, JT does a lot of commercial work for a lot of places around town, which has the evil prince name on it. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's the primary he's the primary designer and printer on all of it. And he does my commercial stuff if I do a gig poster for a band or whatever. It all goes through mm-hmm. JT. And he also prints my big blocks now, too. Wow. So it keeps him in-house. Sure. He has an income, you know, from doing that stuff. And he's badass and good it's at awesome. it. He is he is very, very talented. And uh also the little retail in front. We can sell my affordables out of there because we have people stopping in all the time, sure. and it's in the middle of a workspace. Right, we're not equipped to sell. Yeah, work that weekend the- a year is typically busy. <laughs> right, right, and so now throughout the year, we can say, "Oh, go to our retail space, a door over." That's you awesome. know, that's a good thing. But also, too, I get to show all my friends work from all over the country. They're that's affordables, awesome. so 
it, and and the the money from that isn't is going to help pay some bills, but it, it's sure. really going to live off of its its commercial work. So the retail is a happy, amazing bonus to be able to do. I mean, I think it's welcome anything like that that you typically only find in other cities. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of Steve Powers print. Now look, shop. we're sitting here, and JT's going to listen. He's going to be like, "Yeah, see, this was my idea. <laughs> it was his idea. I got talked into this. I got talked into it willingly. Yeah, because it's something that needed to happen. Sure. We needed the space too, but it's really JT came up with the concept and. It's very smart. So I'm giving him, JT, you're listening. I'm Shout giving out. you credit. Shout out. <laughs> because I'm going to hear about this. And it'll be open throughout the week. Yeah. It'll be, it won't be open on Mondays. I think it's like Tuesday to uh-huh. Saturday with shortened hours on Saturday. And we're going to be doing all kinds of, our educational programming is going to run through there. That's awesome. Where he's going to teach silkscreen classes. We're going to teach etching classes. We're going to teach, we have That's stone huge. litho classes and everything. Mm. Now look, man, it is hard to get people out in St. Louis. Yeah. That is a very hard thing. Look, if they get, I think people becoming from outside of St. Louis. Well, we get tons of people frequently. from outside of St. Louis. Yeah. It's the St. Louis that's hard to get out. It is. If people around here, they, they're they awesome, but they look for a reason not to go. Yeah. Oh, there's a threat of rain on Friday. Ah, <laughs> oh, we didn't make it. You know, that drives you crazy when you're trying to do public events. Yeah. But, you know, we, we're going to keep at it. This sort of gives us a new brand. Mm-hmm. That isn't just under the evil head, evil prince logo. It's the evil prince logo plus a new brand called Graphic House, which it's a wider array of things that are happening. Because Evil Prince, the shop proper, it publishes my work and right. it's where I make my work. And this gives us a wing that we can promote it properly. I'm I'm you know? pumped. Well, I'm, <laughs> I think it's awesome. If you hey man, I'm gonna be pumped on Saturday when the thing is open because getting to that point, it's driving me crazy because you know, it's like anything you walked in there three nights ago. You'd be like, how in the fuck are we going to open on Friday? But now like last night I went in there and it was like, it was clean. Things are coming together miraculously. And it's all been JT. He's put all of the soul and the sweat and the into this. So it's all him with me like bitching and complaining like the fat cat spoiled <laughs> artist, you know, that I am. And, and but he's been apprentice. The apprenticeship yes, is yeah. over. Now yeah. he's like, it's 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 gonna be great. That's awesome, man. I'm very excited about it. I'm happy for you. I feel like uh the the twelve year old that got put down so many years ago <laughs> is still cheering and fucking I can't believe it. Pumped ever I since. can't believe it. This has gone so crazy. The last, it's been a nutty ride. I'm gonna do a book. I I can't wait, man. I hope I'm you'll, sixty. Well, hopefully you'll come it. back on this before. I'll that come back here anytime you want. We got to start talking about some of these fucking stories. Oh, growing up, there's so many, man. There's I've gone so down. Many. I go down to Lesterville every year. Oh, uh, yeah, same place basically. And, and so now I've uh, been going every year of my life. My mom's mm-hmm. gone every year of her life. My grandma had her honeymoon there. Yeah. So now I'm friends with a lot of the locals yeah. down there now. And, you know, I have come to have, uh, have a, a wide respect for people that aren't just in St. Louis proper, you know, mm-hmm. and that run at a different level mm-hmm. and, and do things differently. I moved back down there. 
I live. I live 15 minutes from Potosi. Right now? Yes. I drive an hour. Get the fuck out. I drive an hour into the studio every day and back. Oh, my God. I've man. been doing that for five years now. We live in my grandparents' house. That my I, I'm buying it basically from my family and my and I moved back down there, and That's the amazing. reason there, there's a couple there, there's sure. a practical reason. Hey man, yeah. things are cheaper. Yep. in the country. Oh my and God. I'm an artist. I live off of my work. I try to cut costs anywhere I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I like it a lot. Now Jen, she gets a little crazy because she crazy. she is a art dealer. Mm. For her, her mom and her art dealers from Kansas City, Sherry Leedy Contemporary Art. So uh, it was like Green Acres. Like, <laughs> Kansas City is where I'd rather stay. I'm going, hey, you want to come live in the sticks? You know, and <laughs> she's, I got her. I abducted her from Kansas City, basically, the high-end art she, she oh seen. And now she's running a household out in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I feel like halfway I, between the two metropolises. Oh yeah, in the and, state. and so she's this high-end Chihuly dealing motherfucker. Wow. You know, she's awesome. Thank God for the internet. Yeah, thank God for the internet. <laughs> and so she does stuff for her mom still. You know, but that's where she comes from, and she's out in the middle of it, out in the middle of nowhere, Phil. And I don't mean that in a in a negative way. We like that it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Phil. no, for sure. But that's two hours a day. But. It is Trump land. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. And I look, man, I I sit in front of the TV every night. You know how I spend my downtime? I inhale news. That's <laughs> baseball season. When baseball season's not over, I found baseball. I got back into baseball because it's the only place that I can go where I'm not thinking about work. Yeah. And it's meditative. Almost. It is meditative. It's slow. Mm-hmm. And when baseball's not on, and even when it is, I'm flipping between the stations. I'm a, I'm a news junkie. I've been that way since I was a kid. Interesting. And now, now it's rough times. Yeah, it's rough times. I, I have to like on all fronts. I yell at the television mm-hmm. like an old dude. <laughs> you know, you're not on Twitter. I would imagine. I am, and I'm not. <sighs> I have it to where, like, when I post something on Facebook, it automatically posts gotcha. to Twitter. I never check Twitter. I yeah. don't go on Twitter and do anything. That's good. I mean, <laughs> if I, I, I hate social media stuff, but I have yeah. to do it like everybody else. If I could get rid of it to, now, I mm-hmm. would do it, but it's not practical to do that anymore. What about the idea of being able to teach via that method? Mm. Like showing process? or do you- uh, you, I do some of that. Yeah. I do some of that, you know. Um, people like to see that. They do. People like to see me in front of a block or whatever. Well, know. it connects them with how it's actually made yes. instead of just seeing a fine... Now, that's one of the great things about social media mm-hmm. is is there is an education thing. Right. You know, hey, I want to see... If I, I want to see the new... You know, Megadeth album being remixed. Yeah. They'll do a live thing. I don't know why I picked Megadeth, but yeah. And... <laughs> that's cool. You couldn't do that. No. 30 years ago. That's fantastic. And then you get to hear it when it comes out. That's a wonderful thing about it. Yeah. The negative we already talked of about course. is all the yahoos starting shit. One also demythologizes these people in a yes. good way on their terms. All except for Prince. Except for Prince. Yeah. He's the only one that wouldn't let that shit happen. Well, there's a lot of, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. There's a reason behind that, you know. There is. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> that's another podcast completely. Look, I know you're busy. I appreciate this has been almost two hours. Really? Yeah. And it so doesn't I, seem like it. <laughs> I, I've I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I know it's you, been a lot of fun. I know you got a lot of shit to do, so I don't want to keep you any longer I than you have to I got to go back and draw. I got to draw today. And and yeah, you got to whip a JT. Yeah. Oh, I'm, no. I'm, I've already I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please come back soon. Anytime, I, man. This you know, has maybe, been a lot of fun. You've been great. Maybe prior to the uh, next show. Sure. I think maybe be right before New York. I think that'd be fucking that'd be awesome. Great. I would love to. And uh, we can just kind of kick back, maybe have a little Jack in that cherry coat. Later in the day. Yep. Maybe in the evening. We do this in the evening. This is the daytime podcast. We'll do a little uh, late evening podcast. That's a, that's a date. Let's make a date. We'll, awesome. We'll do that after the project in Scotland is done. I, and I'd love to hear about that one. That'd finished. be cool. Right on, man. Perfect. Thanks. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Cheers. See ya. Good God. You made it. How was that for you? Because it was fucking ridiculous for me. The man, the only man I've ever had to turn down so far on this podcast. Because he was talking through his heart. He was telling the truth. He didn't give a fuck. Who cares about it? And that was the most refreshing thing I've heard in a long time. He's a very interesting man. He's got a lot on his chest. He's got a lot to discuss. He has a lot of work to do. The things that he do, the the type of artwork that he does is athletic. It requires standing and carving and and, and precision. You know, it, it's at a very high level. And like he says, he backs everything else, everything he does with art history. And he has a, a incredible um, intellect for art history and understanding how things work in art. I enjoyed so much talking to him. He's very relatable, yet also completely different than anybody else I know. <laughs> uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to Tom again in the future. Um, he's got a lot of work that he's working on currently. I can't wait to hear about this book that he's doing with Jim Harper and uh, just his new work that's coming out in New York next year. I don't know. Now it's this year. Uh, it will be fantastic to see. Again, once more, if you like this podcast, please rate and review it, share it on social, discuss it on blog or your podcast, or do whatever the hell you want. Make some art inspired by this podcast. That's probably a tall order, but you know, why not? Tom is inspiring, and hopefully if you've never heard of him before, I've opened you up to a whole nother world of artists and printmakers and anti-agents, people going against the flow, people doing things abnormally and then becoming real famous for it. This has been a great podcast. I'm very happy to have started off the year 2020 with this. Um, If you dig it as well, just let me know. Drop me a line and just keep on listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the people that send me little notes and feedback and uh, new listeners that are coming every day. You can find me, your host, Kevin Kelly, online at kevinkellyusa.com or at kevinkellyusa or Snakebite Co. or Anti-Agency. Just Google my name in St. Louis and I'm sure there's going to be a way to get a hold of me. Uh, That's all I have for right now. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Let's do 2020 right. I'm really excited to be here and I'm excited that you're here with me. Cheers. Thank you.